Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. This week we have another book club episode for you since the book was so short. But first, we have a few things to get through. Megan, why don't you let us know about the other Modern Vinyl podcasts? Oh, yes. So, Misaligned, as you all know, is a part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts, which includes the Vinyl Crawl, Pilot Study, the Modern Vinyl Podcast, and us. And you can find all the shows over at modern-vinyl.com. Awesome. And just a quick note on the schedule. This is our 49th episode. So next week, I will not be doing a guest episode. Instead, we will be doing a regular episode for the 50th episode, which is also sort of another reason why we're doing two book club episodes in a row, aside from the guest episodes. So I know things are a little weird lately, but once we get the 50th episode done next week, it'll go back to the guest episodes and then our regular episodes every other week. So things will be back to normal pretty soon here. And today we are going to be talking about the 33 in a third book, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Kim Cooper. This was our Twitter poll pick. So you guys picked this one for us out of a few of the 33 and a third options, which there are a lot of well, 33 and a third books. It was between that, Tusk, which I'm actually currently reading, and the one about a Celine Dion book. <laughs> or CD. I'm sorry, not a book. It's a CD. <laughs> it's a book about a CD. Yeah, it's a book about a CD. <laughs> yeah, so, Megan, I know you were surprised that I had not heard this album before, had not listened to the band at all, and I know you were a little disappointed when I texted you and was like, I could kind of basically take it or leave it with the album. I didn't think it was, you know horrible by any means, but it just wasn't really something that resonated with me, I guess. I don't know if it's because I'm listening to it now as opposed to before or what. I know this album came out a while ago, but despite that, I did really enjoy the book. Just because I didn't necessarily like the music doesn't mean I can't appreciate what the band went through and how it was made and that sort of thing. So what were your thoughts on just the album before having read this book oh my gosh i love the album it's one of those albums that's just so iconic that it can be a little polarizing to some i don't know um it's one that i discovered when i was in high school i want to say yeah my high school years and it just has kind of stuck with me since then i mean it's so good. There's just so much. I could sing praises about how good it is because, well, I mean, it is, <laughs> but it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. I've noticed its influence in a lot of the music that I listen to now, especially with Beirut. I've heard a lot of influence mainly on the Eastern European influence I guess, because they did bring in a little bit of an Eastern European influence. And that's something that Beirut tries to do with a lot of their music. Lyrically, it's a great story. And it's spawned many, many different covers. I mean, I linked on the misaligned Twitter, the Avett brothers covering the title song. And I know that Brand New's Jesse Lacey has done a cover of O Comely. And actually, what I learned from reading the book, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here. We should probably talk about what we learned from <laughs> okay. reading the book later. But Jeff Mangum actually recorded that in one take. That's like an eight-minute song. Right. It's I think 
eight minutes and 18 seconds. And that was something in the book that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, that's a lot of just straight playing through for that song. And he was the only one on the song, I believe, too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Jesse Lacey's cover is just fantastic. But, you know, it's Jesse Lacey. I might be biased. <laughs> the other thing is, oh, right. Yes. Matt Pond, PA, has covered the title song as well. There's so many cover songs of the title song. Uh, Matt Pond PAs is one of my favorites. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before because I am 85% sure it appeared in an episode of the OC. Okay. I still have not started watching that, but another thing I need to do. (laughs) It's on my very long list of things that I need to do. (laughs) Read this book, watch this show, watch this movie. I have a very long list in all categories there. (laughs) Well, going back to the album in general, too, it's become so popular and so loved over the years that someone decided to release a ska cover album of it. Interesting. I did not know that. Uh, Yeah. Actually, I remember seeing that hit the airwaves. Well, I guess not airwaves per se, more like the internet waves a few weeks ago. Uh, Let me see if I can find that right now, because that's something definitely worth talking about, because I still can't picture that album as a ska album i mean yeah that seems very strange considering uh, yeah you know who wants to listen to a eight minute and 18 second ska song necessarily i mean someone who clearly wants to skank for eight minutes and 18 <laughs> seconds clearly uh yes yeah, so this august 9th 2016 it was all over stereo gum it was all over spin it, it oh my gosh the opening sentence to the Stereogum article is, I don't want that ad. There we go. <laughs> Thank God I am alive to hear the Scott version of Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Good looking out, Noisy. So please join me in listening to Skanktral Ska Hotels in the Aeroskank Over the Checkered Pattern. Okay, then. Oh my goodness. I actually, like, I haven't listened to the Ska tribute album solely because why would I need to do that? But yes, Skanktral Ska Hotel. Oh my God. They made a ska set. So much ska. (laughs) Limited to 40 home dubbed two tone white and black ska sets. So these title, or these, uh, (laughs) definitely it's worth looking at the ska album just to see some of the song titles. Like the first song, King of Scarret Flowers, parts one, two, three, pick it up, pick it up. In the Aeroskank Over the Checkered Pattern title track, Rude-Headed Boy, Scotland 1996, as opposed to Holland 1945, Scommunist Rude Girl, <laughs> Oh Dubly, Use Headphones for Maximum Effect, Ghost of Rudy, Scott titled Rude-Headed Boy Part 2. We'll definitely have to link to this in the show notes just so people can see it with yes. their own eyes because just listening to you talk about it, I don't really believe it, but I know you're telling the truth. I, In fact, Dan Ozzy gets a shout out in this website. It says, thanks, Dan Ozzy, for Scott's set. Can't believe I missed that one. Interesting. Well, before we jump into the meat of the book, really, had you heard of Kim Cooper before? I know personally when I look at some of these authors on a lot of the 33 and a third books, sometimes I'll recognize the name, but more often than not, I tend not to. And I know Kim Cooper has written other books, one of them being Bubblegum, 
music is The Naked Truth, The Dark History of Prepubescent Pop, from The Banana Splits to Britney Spears. There was a band called The Banana Splits? Okay. (laughs) Apparently, I have not read this book. I'm just, you know, looking at the author page on Amazon right now, and it is there. And she wrote it with David Smay. Hopefully, I'm saying that last name correctly. But it seems like this is really the first book she wrote solo. The rest of these books listed here, it's like with someone else. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting to me. And I really did enjoy her writing style for this. It was like super informative, but she put like a nice little touch on it that just kind of made you realize how much she really loves this band and this album. Yeah, I mean, out of the 33 and a thirds that I've read so far, which isn't very many, I've read Colin Malloy's, I've read this one, I finished the In Utero one, and I'm currently reading Tusk. Right. This one has a different format from all of those. With Colin Malloy's, it was more of a narrative about his life and how Let It Be revolved into his life and was woven into it with a little history about the band itself. This one was definitely more focused on the band, the album, and kind of their what happened afterwards. Like This book was published in 2010. No, I'm sorry. 2005. I don't know why there's a 2010 on the info page. (laughs) But it was published in 2005. And I think at that time, there wasn't any plans whatsoever for a Neutro Milk Hotel reunion. Right. And if I remember correctly, there might have been one in the not too distant past. I think so. I swore one of my friends had gone to see see them. But I I think so. Did not pay there attention was one to the in band. One two thousand thirteen. So. Okay. Final leg of reunion tour two thousand fourteen. Yes. Yeah, so in April of two thousand thirteen, the band announced a fall reunion tour, and it was a multi-year effort. So if I'm reading this correctly, spring twenty fifteen will be our last tour for the foreseeable future. So yeah, they finished out their multi-year reunion tour last year. Right. And they went to places. Oh, that's right. They went to Charlottesville last year, and I was actually forever bummed that I could not go see them because they were at the Jefferson. That's right. Going to be forever bitter now about this. (laughs) I vaguely remember the news about that, but because they weren't a band I listened to or knew, really, I I think it kind of just went over my head and I was like, okay, whatever, (laughs) another reunion tour, you know, that sort of thing, because so many of those have been happening lately, and especially with the tons of 10-year tours we've been getting and all sorts of things, it's like so hard to keep track of all of the different bands that are reuniting, breaking up, and this and that, and what have you, but you mentioned, you know, the way she dove into the book differently than Colin Lloyd did on The Replacements Let It Be, not The Beatles Let It Be. There are two books with the same album titles, so (laughs) there is that specification that needs to be made once in a while. And like you, that was the first one I read, actually, was Let It Be by Colin Malloy. And then I have the Ramones self-titled one, and I've read The Ghetto Boys self-titled and Slater Kinney, I can't remember the name of the album right now for some reason, but it's literally the Slater Kinney one that just recently came out. So like you, I've 
only read a handful of these books, basically, including this one now. And unlike you, though, my library does not have very many of them. They have the Slater-Kinney one, and they have the Colin Malloy one, and that's, like, it. Oh, yeah, we have a lot in our library system. I was actually pleasantly surprised to see how many were there. So that made choosing three books at random for this podcast really great. And I was really just... I don't know. I really liked it. It grabbed my attention. And of course, I listened to the album while reading the book, because why not? The other thing is, if I'm remembering this correctly, the book mentioned that this isn't an album that you can just pick and choose songs to listen to. You kind of have to listen to the whole album to get the full picture. Right. Which is true. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I have listened to the title track because I I have... Matt Pompier's version on my iPod. I can't tell you how many times King of Carrot Flowers has popped up on Pandora, which is a weirdly large amount, surprisingly. And to hear it broken up, it's a little weird to me. So it's one of those that you just have to sit through and listen, even sitting through an eight minute, 18 second song. But O Comely is great. So haters don't hate <laughs> right and for me i think the O'Cumley portion that we mentioned earlier already where you know it was recorded in one take and everything to me i think that was probably my favorite part of the book just because that really kind of puts into perspective the outlook on this album when they were making it and that sort of thing and i did enjoy the first part of the book where she really goes through you know how the guys met and how the band came together because I feel like a lot of times, especially if you're getting a 33 and a third, that's about an album that's maybe in the, you know, middle or towards the end of an artist's career, you might not necessarily get that same kind of information in one of those books. Considering, you know, this book was what, 104 pages? That's not a lot for a book. And it's got pictures. Yes. How many 33 and a thirds out there actually have pictures in them? I don't think a lot of them do. Right. Also, when you read a book with pictures as an adult, that's a bonus because you never expect to read a book with pictures. (laughs) Yeah. What was funny to me with that, it's like they stuck the pictures literally two pages before a chapter ended. And if they had just stuck them right when that chapter ended, it would have been literally smack dab in the middle of the book, like like between page 52 and 53. And I was just kind of like, why would you put these and then still leave two pages of the chapter left? Like, why not just put it in between something? Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, to I me, would've... that was kind of weird, but it, like, it doesn't change anything content-wise in the book. I would have appreciated seeing it before the songs chapter, not just in the middle of a chapter. But the other thing I really liked about this book is that the chapters were actually broken up into mostly geographic regions right so from athens to new york to queens denver and then it gets into the heart of the album itself right and i think the main reason for doing that was because those places had different impacts on the album on the songwriting and that sort of thing and i think that was a cool way to do that because in some of the others, like you mentioned with Let It Be, it was more about his experience with the album. And I've seen some where it kind of takes you really 
song by song almost too Mm -hmm. and it's really dependent on the author's writing style and i think that's what makes this such a great series to check out and i do believe it's part of bloomsbury's academic branch i'm not entirely sure on that but i think it is so that kind of surprises me that the libraries here don't have more of those just because they're considered more academic like and it also bumps me out because then I have to, you know, spend money to read them <laughs> instead well, of using I the have library. A funny story about libraries and these thirty-three to third books. When I placed a hold on the book to pick it up at my local branch because I didn't want to travel about thirty, forty minutes just to get a book. It's the beauty of library systems where they're all over a big county or even the space of two counties. You can get them shipped. But because I placed the hold over Labor Day weekend, it took about a week for them to actually sort through all the boxes of holds. And I was very impatient. (laughs) So when I went to pick it up, the librarian, I don't know if I should be offended by this or if I should laugh at it, but she looked at the book and knew my history because I already have two 33 to thirds checked out. And she said, you need to read bigger books. <laughs> so I kind of, exp- I had to explain to her the premise behind the book, why I was specifically reading this one and why I was so antsy to get it. And I didn't want to say to her, okay, I-, I think you kind of gave me a side eye for checking out March by John Lewis, which is about the civil rights movement and that era. Right. And I, I've been reading since I was three and a half. At three and a half, I picked up the newspaper, shocked my parents, and my grandma didn't believe me. So she found a book in her house and said, okay, prove to me that she can read this. I was pronouncing scientific names of bugs of North America at three and a half. So that's why I'm saying I don't know if I should be offended by this or just to laugh. I know that the books are small, but they've got small print and they're jam-packed full of info And I've been reading since I was three and a half. Like, I can't tell you how many books I've gone through over the years. And on top of that, I already have a 481-page book checked out about newscasters. And I have a Neil Gaiman book checked out. And uh, Yeah, that man doesn't really write short books. (laughs) Well, in his defense, Coraline is actually pretty short, but Coraline is more of a kid's book. Right. The one I'm rereading is more of a love story. (laughs) But uh, that tangent aside, this book, it is, if I'm going by the numbers on the spine correctly, the 29th in the series. Right. And they're up to like 100 and something or some ridiculous number now. Yeah. So I'm going to get back on track here. (laughs) You mentioned books about how sometimes they're about just the songs. Right. And I like that the chapter, the short chapter, is literally the song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the opening paragraph is, when I first proposed writing about In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, I told the folks at Continuum that I wasn't interested in subjecting the album to a literal-minded line analysis, sucking all of the mystery out of the lyrics and spoiling their effects. I think that's great. That's honestly the best way to look at it, because this is an album... That is so full of mysterious allure, and you kind of do have to dig into the lyrics to really get some of it. Right. So with that said, there are also some interesting tidbits that I never knew about 
the album itself. When I said that I didn't know that O Comely was just one take, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. And this this album is about to be 20. It'll be 20 next year. Right. So to think of someone doing that long of a song in 97, 96, 97, that's practically unheard of, especially when a lot of the music was like short and not full of depth unless, well, okay, I guess I'm talking about the mindless pop stuff. (laughs) Continuing on from our last book discussion, but it's just one of those things. I don't know. I'm rambling. But the songs, yes. How I kind of, I don't know if you could hear it in the tone of my voice, but I kind of made a weird quip about the ska cover of Holland 1945. One of the things that I thought was interesting about this album that I never knew and somehow just didn't pick up on it was the themes of Anne Frank's diary woven into the music itself. And it wasn't until reading the little blurb about Holland 1945 where I really just got the biographical references about her family, about herself. And it it was good. Yeah, I don't think I caught on to any of that when I gave the album a listen. To be honest, I only listened to it once just to kind of get an idea of what to expect going into the book. And like I mentioned earlier, I hadn't listened to the album at all before. And I probably won't really listen to the album again just because, like I said, it didn't really resonate with me. It didn't catch on. And I think that's totally fine because, like I said, I still enjoyed the book. And I think getting that insight into the album still allows me to appreciate it more and all of the time and effort that went into it and everything. So I think that's definitely my favorite part of reading this book was kind of just getting that insight into how it was really made and what it meant to the band members and everything. What would you say was your absolute favorite part of this book? I know, you know, we said it's only 104 pages, so we probably can't ramble on too long about it because it's what, like the third of a normal size book. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the touring part of the book and how they recorded things and me being a giant nerd who loves footnotes in the chapter and I just opened to the end of the chapter but in the chapter that gets broken up by the pictures yes the in the aeroplane over the sea sessions one of the footnotes talks about an instrument that I have never heard of in my life until reading this book <laughs> the zanzithophone yeah I haven't a heard Susian of that either monikered electronic midi saxophone and how Laura Carter went through three in um, two bands, Neutral Milk Hotel and Elf Power. Right. I, that's, it was an interesting thing, especially when there was uh, transistors failing because of spit and condensation. (laughs) Yeah. One of the questions that I had was, why would you create an instrument like this, knowing that people are going to be blowing into it and knowing that it can't really act like a full brass instrument and be electronic? It's not a keytar. It's Zanzithophone. Yeah, and I believe that was the only footnote in the book, too. And it was like one of the most Um, entertaining ones. No, I think there were some other footnotes in the book itself that weren't of importance. Oh, okay. As much as the Zanzithophone. Also, I just want to keep saying the word Zanzithophone. (laughs) That That is actually fun. And like the book says, it's 
Seussical. Could I could picture a Dr. Seuss character with a xanthophone. Uh, but yeah, the sessions chapter, I really enjoyed that. And even where they had a performance, even before the album was coming together, where they had a small child on stage with them or something. And people were not expecting that. Oh, yes, here we go. Ravi Fernandez, a costumed toddler whose participation later in the evening would be misunderstood by those who picked up the Live at Jittery Joe's CD expecting just to hear Jeff Mangum. So for those of you who aren't familiar, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea is not Neutral Milk Hotel's first album. It's actually their second album. Right. And I think the last one they fully recorded. But yeah, people knew who Jeff Mangum was. People knew kind of the what we now know as Neutral Milk Hotel. And it was interesting that they had Ravi, because Ravi was not an obnoxious crying baby, but another artist collaborating with Jeff in his own style, which just happened to be pre-verbal. Right. Those tidbits, like those small, minuscule tidbits, really just... I I can't think of the word to say. (laughs) (laughs) They really brought it together for me. And made me enjoy the album and what went into making the album a lot more than I had before. Yeah. So do we want to wrap this up with kind of our final, you know, out of five star review here? I personally gave it a four out of five, even though it wasn't necessarily my kind of music. Because, I mean, I've already said this like two or three times by now, but it was just a super informative book. And I think... I can read really any book about music as long as it kind of portrays it in a way that makes sense for that type of music. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. Like I give it a five out of five. And leaving me with this question, like what about the album specifically just didn't draw you in? Was it Jeff's vocals? Was it the weird instrumentation? Like I'm curious and I'm sure our listeners would be too as to why you didn't like it. I think the instrumentation had a little bit to do with it but to me it just felt like a really slow album and I think you know Oh Comely being eight minutes and 18 seconds didn't exactly help that for me especially with that song coming later in the album I was sort of sitting here and I was like okay how much time is left on this album sort of thing and it just didn't really grab me when I hit play on it And I think that kind of made me not like it as much. Like I mentioned, it's an album that can definitely be appreciated, but it's not something I would actively search out and listen to. That makes sense. It does. And as a suggestion for you, I would say go and listen to some of the cover songs. Yeah, I did not do that. I had every intention to do that, but then I forgot that you had actually posted them on our <laughs> I posted two yeah okay. I posted two um but there there's a plethora of them out there in the world like the Avid brothers I wasn't I actually didn't know that they had covered it until I was looking for I originally was looking for a video of the Matt Ponpier song to link right because it's just it, that one's off of his winter songs EP and it's just a good a good winter song yeah, and I it's mean, it's dreamy, it's wistful. Yeah, it's, it's nice. <laughs> right. There are times where I do tend to like cover songs more than the original. And obviously, 
the big one is Whitney covering Dolly with I Will Always Love You. That's like the greatest cover song of all time. (laughs) And even Dolly will admit it. So, you know, if she's saying it, we should all just agree with her. But moving on, we are going to announce our October book pick. So you will have... I would say, what, around four to five weeks to read this one? Like I said, with our little schedule change, I change. I don't know what exact date we will be covering this book, but as soon as I figure that out, we will let you guys know in an upcoming episode. But our next book pick is Mainlines, Blood Feasts, and Bad Taste. It's a Lester Bangs book, and it's a compilation of his writings, basically, because he was a big rock music critic back in, you know, like the 70s, 80s, that kind of time period. And he is someone I was introduced to through one of my classes at Drexel. And after reading, you know, an excerpt or two of his stuff, I was just like, okay, I need to buy whatever I can from this guy. And he actually has a couple of collections. So we're going to go with this one. We will link to it so you guys can check it out. As Megan and I always suggest, definitely check your library if you have a library card. If you don't have a library card, get a library card, and we really like libraries. Please don't make me sing (laughs) the Arthur song where they have that episode where it's, of course, Brain and the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde episode where there's that like freaky song, but it's also having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. Please do not make me sing that on this podcast. I will link to that gif as many times as possible, but I will not sing it. Yeah, so you guys should have a little more time than usual to read this book because we did do two in a row since this 33 and a third was so short. And we might do that in the future and maybe do a 33 and a third and pair it with another larger topic. But because I want to watch the Packers game tonight, that is not happening today. (laughs) And I'm currently watching the Emmys where Aziz Ansari, or Aziz Ansari, I'm sorry, I can never say that, <laughs> but he just won an Emmy for best comedy writing for his show, Master of None. Nice, nice. Spoiler yeah. alert in case anyone has not watched the Emmys by Thursday somehow. <laughs> or at least read the winners. Yes, which will be on like every entertainment website ever. But we do yep. still have recommendations this week. Megan, what do you have for us? All right, so I've got two, and both of them actually came out on Friday. The first one is the new Against Me album called Shapeshift With Me. I've heard some of the songs live from Barbecue, and they're solid. The whole album was streaming on NPR Music a week before its release, and just, I love it. It's not your typical Against Me album. It's a lot less angst, a lot more love and emotion. But in their point, at this point in their career... They can do that. Right. They can redefine what punk is. I mean, Laura Jane Grace did one of the most punk things imaginable coming out as trans. Like, that's super punk to me, I think, because she's going against the mainstream. Uh, But the other recommendation I have is Keaton Henson's Kindly Now. It was also streaming on NPR's First Listen a week before its release, and... I didn't think it was possible to hear an album sadder than Sufjan Stevens's Carrie and Lowell. I was wrong, and three minutes and 30 seconds into Kindly Now, my feelings were all over the place. I was a mess, <laughs> it's beautiful, and he's a bit of a recluse, so he doesn't tour much. And he also just, 
his music is so beautiful. You might have heard him in, oh, I don't know. I think he was in Grey's Anatomy. One of his songs was featured. It seems like a song that would be featured in Grey's Anatomy, honestly. <laughs> and the way I was introduced to him was through the short-lived BBC series, or I guess BBC America series, In the Flesh. And it was in the series finale. So definitely, it's his first full length since 2013's Birthdays. And if you just want an album to go cry your eyes out to and just feel all the things, go listen to it. As you can see, my two suggestions are on vastly different spectrums. <laughs> yeah. And again, we have music recommendations all around because while mine is more broad of a re recommendation, it's still music. And I am going to tell you all to go listen to Jimmy World. Get prepared for Integrity Blues. Just trust me. Just get prepared for Integrity Blues. And if you want, you know, go listen to Sure and Certain and Get Right, the two singles that have been released. Go listen to Bleed American. Go listen to Clarity. Go do whatever you want. Just listen to some Jimmy Eat World. Even if it's just the middle, their biggest song, at least as far as, you know, mainstream audiences might go, that's fine too. Well, a lot of people might also know Hear You Me, which is one of their sadder songs. Here I am talking more again about sad songs. <laughs> Let's just have a new feature on this line, Sad Songs with Megan. Uh, but Hear You Me was featured in, I want to say it was featured in a Cinderella story with Chad Michael Murray and Hilary Duff. I do not know the answer to that, but I know it was in One Tree Hill. It's been everywhere. but Also I'm with Chad Michael sure. Murray. So just follow Chad Michael Murray <laughs> around and you'll hear the song. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it was in that movie. Which, if you haven't seen it, you probably should. Like, what? Are you, what's wrong with you? Are you living under a rock? Apparently, I am. Yes, thank you. Oh my gosh, no, I wasn't directing that at you. I was not. I have not like, seen the general. movie. I just like I know about the movie, but I just have not sat down and seen it. But I probably know how it goes completely. <laughs> it's great. You should watch it. <laughs> awesome. Well, that wraps up t for today. Like we mentioned, Mainlines, Blood Feasts, and Bad Taste is the next book. He has quite interesting book titles for his collections, and this is definitely one of them. <laughs> so we'll be reading that. I don't know how long it is because it's sitting on my shelf and I can't reach it from where I'm sitting, but it'll be in the show notes, link to Amazon. We can link it to iBooks or whatever you want as well in case you are an iBook reader instead of a Kindle reader or instead of physical books, which is what Megan and I will be reading it on. Mm-hmm. But as always, still a family team book. Yes, as always, thank you guys for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.